Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, Colin, I'm getting a little uh, emotional. We only got two of these midweek shows left before the end of the season. Yep, it's coming to that time when uh, we don't get to touch our fans or molest them on a weekly basis. Yeah, I'm sure they're upset about that. Uh, no, probably not. Well, I only have one guest for us today. Um, unfortunately, our good friend Corey Fatoni couldn't be with us this week. Apparently, the uh, rigors of student life and football have gotten to him. He can't be with us again and again and again, but I understand that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the kid's got a, got a job to do. He's a quality punter. Big-time college punter, yeah. But Mike Lovell from Last Word on Sports, uh, who's a Tennessee guy, joined us and is going to talk a little bit about what's in Knoxville and what we can expect to see from Josh Dobbs and company. Yeah. Well, I tell you what we won't see, eyebrows. That's a fact. Absolutely. Yeah, Josh Dobbs has been a little bit open of late talking about he's got an actual uh, medical condition where his hair just starts to disappear off his body. Well, I, I feel like that anybody that didn't know there had to be some sort of medical condition tied to his appearance was uh, had their head a little bit in the sand. Nobody looks like that without a medical condition. Well, that's the interesting thing. You know, I feel for him for having that condition. God knows that would be an undesirable thing to deal with. I don't, but, well, I don't know. I mean, does Lord Voldemort have a medical condition? Because he kind of looks like that. Well, it's possible. What I was going to say is while I feel for him in this condition— I do question the 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 style of hair he goes with. I mean, a lot of guys will shave the head, and yeah. uh, it's a pretty good look. And uh, Dobbs does continue to go with the, I don't know, cone head. Hair meets. yarmulke? Yeah. <laughs> hair yarmulke, I think that's the best way to describe it. Well, I mean, he's probably just clinging to the last vestige of hair he has. Uh, neither one of us know that pain, Brendan. We both have full, flowing sets of beautiful, dark hair. Right. It's no Kirk and, Farmer, uh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure, and so you know we don't understand what it's like to be clinging to the uh, last remnants of what little we have. And I think the real scoop in Tennessee, which is yet to be had by uh, the media, certainly not by the ladies in the Knoxville area, is what the pubic zone looks like. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's an important thing to know about. And we'll 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 try to get to that bottom of that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll ask that you can ask uh, our guest if uh, he has any status report on Josh Dobbs's undercarriage and his hair situation. I will not do that. But, uh, well, let's get to that uh, interview and find out a little bit more about Tennessee, and then we will um, come back and, and talk coaching news, coaching updates, and make some predictions. What do you think about that? Oakley Doakley. All right, M-I-Z. The O-U. And it's wrong. Slam. This bug's for you. This is the Mazzotcast. 
With us now to talk a little Tennessee football is Mike Lovell from LastWordOnSports.com. Mike, thanks for joining us. Brendan, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Mike, we've seen the volunteers for the last few years now as members of the SEC, but one question remains for us. What the hell is this Tennessee team? Everybody expected big things from them. They're 6-4 and four now. They've yet to beat the Tigers in, in conference play. What is this volunteer team? Are they good, are they bad, or are they otherwise? Well, that's a question that people in Knoxville are wondering as well. Tennessee came into the season with high hopes. Uh, a lot of people thinking nine wins uh, would do it, possibly even ten wins. Tennessee's sitting six and four, like you mentioned. And uh, they've shown promises of that elite status where the fans want them to get back to, but they've also shown some uh, periods of weakness. Uh, their, their early season letdowns in the second half have shown concerns, uh, but they clearly have the talent that was missing in previous seasons. Uh, what they're really searching for is consistent. That, that's really the big, that, that, that's, the consistency is what's keeping Tennessee uh, from being 9-3 and three and 10-2 and this season. If they could have closed out Oklahoma, if they could have closed out Florida, they'd be sitting at 8-2 and two, uh, and looking really nice. Missouri has been a thorn in our side since you guys have been in the conference, and uh, Tennessee guys are just kind of scratching their heads on that. Uh, we had the, the, I believe, triple overtime game in, in your first season of the conference, and then uh, last year's infamous onside kick uh, fiasco there in Knoxville. <laughs> so I would, tell, I would tell you to answer your question, Brendan, Tennessee's a, a talented team, a very good team, uh, but a team that's searching for consistency. What are the attitudes about Coach Butch Jones? I know that he there were a lot of expectations going in for both his recruiting and uh, what this season might bring, but then you mentioned those close losses to the likes of Florida and Oklahoma, and there was kind of a perception that he was blowing games late. But are the fans supportive of Coach Jones, or are the expectations starting to weigh on him? After the uh, Oklahoma and Florida games, there was a lot of questioning, public questioning of, of the Jones, of, of Jones and his staff and their in-game decision. Uh, after the Georgia win and the close loss against Alabama, some of that questioning dissipated a little bit. Uh, there's, there is no questioning his, his ability to recruit. Uh, so, so the fans are really happy with the recruiting. But there are still some questions about his in-game uh, management. I will tell you, uh, most people give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, people don't understand how dry the cupboard was after the Kiffin-Dooley stretch of years. It, it was a, the, the cupboard was very bare. Butch Jones did not really have a lot of talent to start with. Mm-hmm. He did come out this week and said he could, he's to the point now where he understands, uh, or, or, or he understands that the program is to the point now where winning is not enough, right? And that they have to they have to get back to that SEC division championship, competing for conference championship levels. So he it seems like he's starting to signal a, a new phase in the Butch Jones era of Tennessee football. And I don't know if that's because he feels the pressure mounting, or or if he just thinks the time is right and the team is where where it needs to be to go to that next level. But it's an interesting question coming off some of his comments this week. It does seem uh, that he's kind of shifting the program focus away from rebuilding and on to competing at the highest levels in the conference. Well, I know expectations certainly were there uh, at the beginning of the season. People talked a lot about Tennessee being not in rebuilding mode anymore, but uh, clearly they had one more year to where they had to figure that out. But, I, you know, personally, I have always felt since we've been in the conference, Missouri, that that teams like Tennessee sort of 
overlooked Missouri. They didn't have much expectations. They didn't know much about Missouri. And then we kind of snuck in there and surprised them. You know, I look at a place like Tennessee, the great stadium, the great environment and atmosphere for great football. And yet we hear great things about Joshua Dobbs, but we've seen him twice and Missouri's managed to handle him. What do you expect from Joshua Dobbs this weekend? And what can they bring that they haven't the last time, last couple times they've faced the Tigers? Well, Joshua Dobbs is, is the big question mark. As, as Joshua Dobbs goes, so does the volunteer offense. And specifically, as Joshua Dobbs runs, so uh, as he performs on the running game, so does the ball offense. Uh, he, he, again, he's, he's younger last year, um, so what he'll, what he'll bring this year is a little bit. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Better understanding, a little bit better capability to pass the ball, uh, but he's still struggling. And when I talked earlier about finding that consistency, Joshua Dobbs is the, uh, is the example of the one player that needs to find that consistency most. He needs to find a consistency in the vertical passing game, uh, he needs to find a consistency in ball handling. He's had a couple bad fumbles. He gave up the uh, fumble six to, to Kentucky, and then a couple more fumbles in the pocket this season. He came, Josh Johnson came in with a lot of high expectations. He's had some great games. The Kentucky game, uh, minus that fumble six, was really good. Uh, and the Georgia game was excellent as well from that standpoint. But he needs to find that consistency. Uh, his running has been good when they've called on him. Uh, he has uh, had some re-option uh, judgment mistakes, but it's not been as bad as his, his vertical, the consistency in the vertical passing game. There was also uh, some indication that he's, he's nursing a foot injury. So I think for volunteer fans, that's going to be the biggest question coming in to the game this week in Columbia. Is Joshua Dobbs' foot healthy? And if it is, will he be able to run the ball effectively to get the volunteer offense going? Because if you look at Tennessee's win, when Josh Dobbs runs the ball well, Tennessee's offense it's very high power and very efficient. When Josh Dobbs doesn't run well, the volunteer offense kind of stagnates. I wanted to ask you about the Tennessee offensive line. Missouri lost freshman Terry Beckner Jr. on the defensive line to an MCL injury last week against BYU. And while the defense remained very good, the pass rush seemed to suffer. Uh, BYU had a lot of time in the pocket where uh, all season long, even with all Missouri's troubles we've seen our pass rushers give quarterbacks trouble week in and week out. What do you expect to see from this line and um, in the pocket for Joshua Dobbs? 
The offense has been a little bit of a pleasant surprise this year. They're still very young. Played two freshman offensive linemen last week, uh, and those same two freshman offensive linemen saw action against Alabama. Uh, so so they're, they're battle-tested. Even though they're still young, they've been through the SEC schedule. So, you know, they faced Alabama's front seven. Uh, they faced a, a very good Florida front seven. So they have a little bit of experience under the belt. They're still a little bit undersized, uh, but they are athletic. And that helps them out in the run game. Uh, they can get out on the read option. They can get out on the, on the jet sweeps that Tennessee likes to run so often. The pass protection is generally their biggest, weakest uh, weakness area. But much like you said, because Joshua Dobbs kind of masks some of the mistakes in that game, uh, they are uh, protected a little bit by his mobility. I think they'll be okay against Missouri, particularly with your, uh, with your injuries. They've acquitted themselves fairly well so far this season. But again, <laughs> even the offensive line's performance goes back to Joshua Dobbs and his ability to make good decisions in the running game. I will also say that Tennessee has had to shuffle because they've had their fair share of injuries on the offensive lines. Well, they've had to shuffle a lot of their offensive linemen either in and out of games or around in different positions because of injuries. So, so the Tennessee offensive line has had their injury problems too. Uh, so Missouri will be able to uh, exploit that, uh, but we'll see how uh, we'll see if Tennessee's offensive line is able to do what they've been doing all season and kind of pleasantly surprise people. Tell me a little bit about the impact Jalen Hurd has on this offense and how uh, he complements the mobility of Joshua Dobbs on this ground game. I will tell you, uh, everyone knows that, uh, like I said earlier, as Josh Dobbs goes, so goes the ball offense. But I think, for my money, the MVP of this offense has been Jalen Hurd. Uh, he's run the ball extremely well. Uh, he, he, in the running game, has also masked uh, some of the offensive lines uh, weaknesses and, and, and their youth by making some really hard and, and good runs. He, he He's emerging as one of the top SEC backs, uh, or one of the top backs in the SEC. If you look at what he did to the Alabama defense, he actually had a much better game against Alabama than Leonard Fournette had. If you look at his performance throughout the season, he's been absolutely, he, he's been the most consistent performer on the entire volunteer team. Uh, his third, he's, he's made, he's converted several tough third down runs. Uh, and he's been integral in the passing game as well. Josh Dobbs is not the best vertical passer, so on those short, uh, the short passing game, Jalen Hurd's been there, and him and Alvin Kamara as well. Kamara has to be mentioned in a discussion about Hurd because Kamara compliments Hurd very well. Hurd's a big, tall, bruising back with speed. Kamara is the speedy back, I think Chris Johnson, but he also has a little bit of toughness. But I think Jalen Hurd's been the MVP of this offense. I think he's, you know, he's one of the best running backs in the SEC, of course. A lot of good guys in the SEC. You got that trio at Georgia. You got Derek Henry. You got Leonard Fournette. You got Hansborough at Missouri. But I think Jalen Hurd has really acquitted himself very well this season. And he's really made a name for himself. A lot of people see Tennessee's offense and they see it as a spread. They think it's a high power passing attack. Tennessee's offense is really a power rushing attack. And because of that, Jalen Hurd is, is the most critical person on that offense. You got to have a guy like Jalen Hurd for that power offense or that power running game to really establish itself and allow a guy like Joshua Dobbs to do what he does. Let's switch it over to the defense a little bit. It's no secret the struggles Missouri has had all season long on being able to move the ball, particularly uh, their their offensive line has struggled to make holes for the running game and, and protect the pocket for, for now freshman quarterback Drew Locke. Tell me a little bit about your expectations going into this uh, game for the Missouri offense. The biggest weakness for the Tennessee defense overall is depth. They've had uh, a lot of injuries on the defensive line position, uh, specifically Kurt Majit. 
uh, and they've had some injuries at the linebacker position. They're also pretty young at the linebacker position. I think the biggest struggle that Tennessee's defense has had this year has been the linebackers covering in the past game. Uh, the linebackers are a little bit undersized, and you have a, a, a freshman running the middle linebacker position. But they've done pretty well in run, in run support. They have not covered uh, the passing game, that uh, mid-level passing game, very well. The defensive line has some a lot of talent. They're very good. Derek Barnett's down there. Will McKenzie's down there. But they, they have not – Derek Barnett specifically has not lived up to the expectations, and they don't have that depth they had at the start of the year. But the linebackers, I think, uh, are the biggest concern because of that, that underneath passing game. I think they'll be able to hold well against Locke. The defense will probably play a lot of man coverage on the outside and deep uh, because they're they're not. I, I don't think they'll be afraid that Locke can beat them deep, and that will help the linebackers. And you'll probably see a little bit of a blitz package, particularly uh, from the nickel position or the outside linebacker position. I think they'll be able to, to hold Missouri's offense pretty well. We've looked surprisingly good against the run game, and uh, I think they'll be able to uh, to contain Missouri's offense pretty effectively. Teams have managed to do that so far. <laughs> you have any predictions for uh, Saturday? I think Tennessee comes in. Uh, I think Tennessee wins. I think it's going to be an emotional game for Missouri. I think they're going to play hard for Pinkle. I certainly don't think it's going to be a blowout. I would look at. Uh, I would think it would be Tennessee twenty-four, Missouri fourteen, seventeen in that range. I think it'll be a seven-point game, somewhere between a seven and ten-point game. Tennessee in the mid-20s, Missouri in the high teens. That would be my prediction. Yeah, high teens is a, is a big offensive output for the Tigers this year. I, I know that Tennessee's a nine-point favorite, and I certainly can't argue with that uh, prediction. At this point in our season, we need one more game to get to a bowl at all. But the offense just hasn't shown any capability of getting anything done. So, so as much as I'd like to fight you on that, I don't think I can do it. Well, you know, I think nine points might be a little bit high. you got the emotional factor uh, with, with Peagle's last game. Uh, there might be some weather concern. Tennessee, uh, two years ago, came into Missouri and, and just played horribly on the road. Still a young team, so, so they got to they gotta learn how to win on the road. Uh, so I think Tennessee's going to win, but I certainly don't think it's going to be nine points. If you, had to, if you had to tie me down, I'd take 24-17, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us, Mike. I appreciate it, and thanks for telling us a little bit about what's going on down in Knoxville. Great. Thanks for having me. And check out LastWordOnSports.com if you get a chance. Absolutely. Listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbillies. Well, there you go. He's predicting a Tennessee win. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, I think that's, I mean... Listen, the smart money is on a Tennessee win. I mean, Mizzou won the BYU game and looked a little better doing it, but I don't think beating BYU should instill gobs of confidence in anyone. But, you know, Butch Jones is their coach, and he's shown that he can lose any game. Right. And um, Tennessee is not particularly a strong team. So, you know, I don't – I'm certainly – it's not like I think, oh, there's a 90% chance Kentucky wins. I'd say it's more like 60-40. Did you say Kentucky? I mean, Tennessee. Right, because Kentucky will not win this game. <laughs> There's a 100% chance. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, after the performance we saw against BYU, it's going to tell us one of two things. Either the offensive line has gotten a little better or BYU is a worse football team than we think they were and made us look better. Uh, only Tennessee and time will tell the answer to that question. I'm crossing my fingers like I have all season long that everything we've seen in the past will not repeat itself. Yeah, but rear its ugly head. Yeah. Well, here's how Mid, mid-level I passing, think, mid-range passing, passing yeah, in the middle of the field. I, I think this 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 game works if we win, and that is that he mentioned that uh, Hurd is probably their the real uh, star of that team, and that the running game is what they are. And uh, if they can run the ball, they win football games. And, you know, if there's if there's something I think Mizzou has a capability of stopping, it's probably the run game. And right. uh, put this game, you know, take away that run game, put this squarely on Josh Dobbs' shoulders and see if he can beat you. And then, you know, we've got decent corners. I mean, I feel like there is, there's an opportunity for us to, to do – well, I mean, will Josh Henson identify that maybe we could take a, a – advantage of the weak linebacking core that uh he brought up i feel like a drag you know, route not it. good for that yeah you know like for instance it's like a drag route yeah you know? i don't know if uh, we've mentioned force, that before force those uh force those linebackers to play a little pass coverage but can we protect drew lock i think everybody sleeps on drew lock a little bit and rightly so some sleep with him well what's that some sleep with him yeah lucky bastards um <laughs> the but I think he's better than most people know or give him credit for just based on the fact that he's got young wide receivers and a, and a very poor offensive line, and he's looked very, very uh, unimpressive. But I think there are impressive components to his game, and if we have a, uh, an, a line that will block, we have receivers that can consistently catch the ball, that he could jump up and bite a team and, and have somebody like uh, Tennessee go, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. Because I feel like he has the ability to – you know, sort of light it up, so to speak, given, you know, the parts around him playing to their potential. And so I think there's a chance that Missouri could sneak up on Tennessee a little bit. Uh, I feel like we have for the last three years. If our defense will hold against the running game, I feel like their offense can sputter every bit as bad as ours is capable of. I agree. I mean, and if Tennessee is willing to give up the middle of the field and our offensive coaches are aware enough to recognize that, I think that's where Drew Locke could do most of his damage. He's a very accurate passer. And, uh, you know, his his issue often whenever he's not you know, running for his life is the deep passes that he's underthrown or bad decisions that he's made as a freshman. But when he sees an open receiver and he, he has a time to make the pass, he's as good as anybody. And, and my only fear on the defensive front is the loss of Terry Beckner. You know, will we give Dobbs a little bit more time than we would have? We did seem to not have the same caliber of pass rush after Beckner went out against BYU. But that said, a Terry Beckner is not going to catch a Josh Dobbs. He's just going to destroy the pocket. Dobbs, yeah, Dobbs gonna, is mobile. He's going to, you know, Dobbs can't step up in the pocket because uh, Beckner has collapsed it. And then your, your Charles Harris's and your Walter Brady's come smashing in from the side and uh, destroy that hairless son of a bitch but yeah it's uh, listen i i think tennessee fans probably right now are wildly optimistic about this game they, let's be honest if we were nine and zero right now they'd be wildly optimistic that's what tennessee sure. fans are but sure uh they're the, they're the northern georgia but i think they are you know i think everybody's sleeping i mean if you don't watch mizzou game in and game out like we do it'd be easy just to look at the stat sheet and look at you know the performances and go oh, well, this team has nothing going on. And I don't think that's that's true. And I think, you know, the last two games in particular, the running game's gotten going. I don't think there's a, any secret that Russell Hansborough seems to have his the old Russell Hansborough, you know, bouncing a step back, and that bodes well for us. I mean, if we establish a running game, 
you know, there's just nobody we can't beat. Well, maybe that's an overstatement. It but, is. You know, they, that really, really helps. That really helps. I mean, the last couple of games have really shown that uh, the running game opens up so much. And uh, If you're a, a person who doesn't watch the Tigers week in and week out, then I'm jealous of you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be an emotional game. With uh, It'll be Gary Pinkle's last home game. It's senior night. It's still coming off the turmoil from the campus level. So Missouri has a lot of reasons to either be distracted or to be up. At BYU, they seem to be up. So um, I'm hoping the crowd will be in it, although it's it's supposed to be cold and snowy and the students are going to be starting to get out of town for Thanksgiving. I don't know what the crowd's going to look like. You know, It could go either way. Well, I think being as Gary Peagle's last home game and the, the crowd, I don't worry too much about. I think people make an effort to be there just for that fact alone. I don't think um, students will recognize the historical nature of it, but yeah, I think alum and I will. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's an opportunity to to see the last home game of the year. I don't think that's. I, I think some people try, may make an effort on that front too. I mean, it's the last chance you're going to get to see the Tigers under Gary Pinkle this year at home. I mean, at least I hope that has a place of a part in it you know i'm certainly going to try to be there because of that right um, but it's a big game for missouri i mean i really i mean if you had to pick a game you want them to you think they can win versus tennessee or arkansas this is the game you put your money on because it is a home game and certainly it being senior night and gary Pingle's last home game you hope that that brings a little extra energy uh, there is the the chance that uh, after a big like emotional victory over byu that they come out flat i mean they're certainly i think that's part of it i think we mentioned that in the the weekend show that you know maybe they just exhausted themselves emotionally uh, and mentally be- with all the goings on at the university and Gary Pinkle's condition that that there is a chance they come out really flat but there's also a chance with it being senior night Gary Pinkle's last game that they come out like against BYU and just play with a lot of enthusiasm. Well, I saw Gary Pinkle uh, over lunch today, and I asked him that very question whether whether um, he thought they'd be up or whether they would you know it'd be a hangover game for him. And what he told me was that uh, they did some good things and that there were some things they needed to work on. <laughs> he does what he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on, uh, as the Tigers are going to do, and look at the coaching search because that's really the talk of town. I think a lot of people have forgotten about the remainder of 2015, and they're looking to 2016 and who will be at the helm of the Tiger football program. Uh, a lot of names have been floated, three in particular that keep coming up. And we talked about that earlier, Tom Herman from uh, Houston, and Justin Fuentes from Memphis, and, of course, Barry Odom here at home. But uh, what are your thoughts as the days pass about the coaching search at Mizzou? What would be good? What are you hearing? Thoughts? Well, most of my thoughts are uh, stolen from other people, and that's I've been reading and listening to just about everything I can get my hands on when it comes to the coaching search. And, uh, first and foremost is uh, you hear a lot about Tom Herman. People think, oh, natural fit because Mac Rhodes hired him at his last job at Houston, but he was not Mac Rhodes' first choice, First, and Mac Rhodes was actually never there with him. He was immediately snatched up by Mizzou. These are two men that don't really know each other. Correct. You know, they, for more than an interview process. So, right, albeit a successful one. Yeah, absolutely, and then what I've been told is, you know, if Missouri's looking to do more of the same with Gary Pinkle, like they want more of, more of what they've had, and why wouldn't they? Because Gary Pinkle's been very successful that Tom Herman doesn't fit that stoic kind of nose to the grindstone type of coach. He's a little more brash, a little more flashy, 
a little more personality. And uh, I, I heard one guy say he's not really a personality fit for Mizzou. I don't know what that means necessarily. That's but, nonsense bullshit talk. Let's just call yeah, it yeah, it. basically. But and the other thing that's that's uh, a little bit disconcerting about that choice is that he like took over a Houston team that had won eight games, and then he has just continued that success. But he certainly didn't build it. Right. And so he essentially uh, has you know, nine more games head coaching experience than Barry Odom right now. Yeah, and you know, and he took over a good team. You know, he didn't build it from scratch, and who knows what kind of recruiter he is. And you know, because at, especially at the college level, at any level of football, the uh, Jimmys and Joes are more important than the X's and O's. And I'll listen um, to you and your bullshit. Yeah, I got some bullshit for you, but uh, he's uh, the choice that ever you keep hearing. But like I said, he's got nine games of head coaching experience, so. Uh, is that really that much more than, like you said, go to Barry Odom, who is the defensive coordinator and has been vocal about saying that he wants to be a head coach? It kind of plays into the other name that we hear a lot is Fuentes from Memphis. Easy for who, you to say. Yeah, is uh, is I think most people, like from most of what I read, people think is the best fit. He fits the Missouri system. He, he's a kind of known as a quarterback whisperer. People would be excited to get him. He would be the slam dunk choice. But if you get him, you probably lose Barry Odom because Barry Odom is very well thought of at Memphis and spent three years there and and would be probably a natural fit for Memphis because Memphis is going to have a hard time hiring a coach because despite their recent success, they have been a perennial doormat and they're not necessarily a football school. So they're not going to go out and hire a big name probably because they just simply couldn't get a big name to show up. And so Barry Odom looks like a very natural choice for them, a guy who's not going to be wildly expensive and a guy who's not going to have so much heat on him that big-time programs are going to also be competing for his services. Well, I'll tell you, my concern um, with Herman, first of all, is that he's got some Texas roots, and I truly believe the Texas job will come open either this year or next year. Charlie Strong is not long for Austin. And if that job comes open, then a guy like Tom Herman will leave us and go to Texas, Texas. and we won't be buying a coach. We'll be renting one. That's a fear of mine. Um, that's that's a that's one I've heard a, a lot of. I guess it's no secret that I mean that is his dream job. And you know, one more good year at Houston, and that is his job. I think a lot of people think. Sure, and and then Fuentes, I haven't even considered that as an option, and I'll tell you why. It's because there's eleven current head coaching jobs open and he is the number one on maybe nine out of those 11 lists and while missouri is a good coaching opportunity we talked about that in our last show you know if this were a draft and we had the fourth pick i don't think he'd be there you know so whether we want him or not i don't think he's he's in reach and the thing is that i fear i agree with you that if we got a fuentes odom's still going to leave because even though he probably likes his old coach it's not his job to, or it's not his dream to be coaching under Fuentes his whole life. He is yeah. primed for a head coaching job himself. Memphis would be right there. And what I, my fear is, is that we lose Barry Odom. He takes the next school he goes to to like ten and one, eleven and zero, and we lose a guy who is right in our backyard because we overlooked him. You know, so I don't well, know. I mean, but that's that you can't know that until the future comes, but that's a concern I have. We'd look like assholes, frankly, if that were what would happen with Barry Odom. Well, that is certainly that's certainly a risk you run if you don't hire Barry Odom. But I think going back to what you said about, you know, the draft picked as far as Missouri goes as a coaching spot, you know, that depends on who you ask because I know Will Harris from ESPN, you know, looked at, you know, was rating the coaching opportunities and he rated 
Missouri like the second best coaching opportunity. Yeah, um, but that's the high as I've ever USC heard. And, and, you know, and maybe, you know, Virginia Tech being right there with them. And that's only one man's opinion, but I think that Missouri fans have been almost conditioned to believe that we are, you know, second tier. And I think Gary Pinkle has taken us beyond that. And, it, and it's it's okay to think that maybe Fuentes would give us a serious look. Well, um, I, I mean, I think Missouri fans in the past, their issue has not been that they've considered themselves second tier. It's that they have been second tier, and they don't know why Nick Saban doesn't come calling or, or guys like that, When then that's just not a reality. I agree that we are in a much better position to hire a coach. And, and I'll tell you this too, Colin, and I haven't heard anybody talk about this, but – I think we're in the ideal spot to hire a coach. That even if they, if we get our man and he requires a big salary, this is the perfect time to do it. We don't have a chancellor. We don't have a president. We, you know, the board of curators is in flux. The, whoever the Mac Rhodes wants to hire and offer big money to, he barely has a boss to run it through. You know, whoever if the interim chancellor okay's this big hire for big big money. He's going to be gone in six months to a year, and he won't catch the heat. You know, the new guy won't catch the heat. It'll be an easy scenario for Missouri to pay big cash to its next football coach if that guy is out there and if that guy's available. Yeah, I uh, I think that uh, I think Missouri is well positioned to get a Fuentes or a big name coach. I I, I think from us, you know, they've got they're going to have a. a uh, you know, a consensus, very good quarterback. They're going to have a, a talent. They're going to, you know, something that people don't talk about much at Missouri is that they have a, a good recruiting base. You know, they've got two major metropolitan areas on each end of the state, and right. that is something that that can't be overlooked. They have uh, they have the facilities. They have good fan support. I mean, they have the support of the university. At least they did. You know, they like I said a lot of change at the top, but. Well, but it's, I think that, like I said, I think that could be a positive because you could use the interim chancellor or curators or whatever as a scapegoat to pay four and a half, five million dollars. And if it doesn't pan out, blame it on the guy that's not there anymore. The new chancellor's hands are clean. So get yeah. the guy you want because now's the strike while the iron's hot. Now, who is that guy? I don't know. Paul Feinbaum couldn't stop talking about Les Miles today. Yeah, I know. I heard that. And, and listen, I don't know how you feel about Les Miles, but. For a guy who's won a national championship and a guy who's got a lot of name cachet, he's not a guy I get very excited about when I hear his name bantied about with the Missouri job. I mean, they call him the Mad Hatter, and I think that is just a, a complimentary way of almost saying the guy's kind of a dum dum. He makes some really crazy decisions, and like he hired uh, Coach some, Josh Henson at one point. Yeah, for, for instance. But he is—I don't know. I mean, he, no one can argue that he's had a ton of success, but. He is a name that I think uh, would be hard for Missouri to grab, even if he came available. You talk about, you know, coaching choices. I think he's he if he got fired from LSU, he would immediately go to the top of the food chain as far as available coaches. What and, about Mark Richt? If the same same scenario. Well, you know, I I like Mark Richt, and I think we said the show. I think Mark Richt has been uh, the uh, victim of overly optimistic expectations by Georgia fans. But um, and I, I think he's a great coach. But I've heard a lot of uh, talk and read a lot that Mark Rick may not coach again if Georgia fires him. Like he is a family guy, and that he literally may not coach or just take a few years off coaching. You know what I mean? And uh, like he's just not inspired right now, or hungry, or whatever you want to say. The one thing you say about a guy like Barry Odom or Tom Herman getting an opportunity to a place like Missouri is you know they are going to be really hungry. 
Right. Because they haven't proven anything to anybody just yet, and they're going to want to really badly. I, I, I feel like one of the things that worries me with a new coach is Coach Kuglowski, who is our defensive line coach, who is, you know, big, the consensus the best in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how long are we going to be able to hold on to that guy? And the uh, transition of head coaches, does do we lose him? Right. Yeah, that is a concern. Uh, and he's a great recruiter for those defensive ends as well. Yeah. Um, but there's a – I feel like the, the school and the – on the whole, when they made the jump to the SEC, I feel like that was just kind of an overall institutional commitment to football. Because if you're going to do that, you have to know that, that football, you, the SEC wants you, and when you're when you're pitching yourself to the SEC, I would think that you have to put yourself out there and say, "Listen, we're not going to be a, a, a drag on the ticket. We're going to be we're committed to the football program. We're going to you know be competitive every year, and uh, we're not going to we're not going to fall asleep at the wheel and I feel like it body into a different mode at Mizzou, even maybe to at, at, at higher levels where maybe academics are the are the focus. That you know, I just feel like some at some level everybody had to make a decision that we're kind of a, a football school now, and yeah. we have to be okay with that, and we're willing to make that commitment if we want to be part of this league. Well, we'll certainly stay with this as new names arrive or as other names drop off and as uh, other teams receive openings um but for now let's go back to the tennessee matchup and to learn a little bit more about tennessee let's play a little tennessee fact or fiction all right fact or fiction okay colin my first question for you, or not question, my first statement, which you have to determine whether it is indeed true or false, is it is illegal to catch a fish with a lasso in Tennessee. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to say it's false just because I can't imagine how that would work. That's incorrect. It is, in fact, true. So God only knows the story leading up to that, but it is a law <laughs> on the books in the state of Tennessee. Uh, well, you're off to a shitty start. Yeah, I I guess it's a necessary law in Tennessee. Sure. A, lot of, a lot of guys with a lot of lassoing experience there. All right, those good legislators wouldn't have put it on the books if it weren't important. All sure. right. Number two, Mountain Dew was invented in Tennessee as a mixer for whiskey. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say yes because I think in an episode of Mad Men, they kind of talked about Mountain Dew as like a mixer, like when they were marketing it or, or advertising it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I – I seem to remember something like that. Well, your dubious sources of information are correct. It is true. All right. All right. Next question. Tennessee's governor offered to give subway spokesman Jared Fogle safe haven after his arrest for having and sharing child pornography. Well, this is a little bit true and false. It's false that Tennessee offered safe haven. It is true that Kansas did. Ah, yeah. So... That is that is false that Tennessee did it, though he was offered safe haven. We're all pedophiles were offered safe haven, the state of Kansas. That was a trick question. You're absolutely correct. You nailed it. Yeah, well, I know that. I mean, I had somebody on Twitter ask me the other night, what is a Jayhawk? And I told him it's the it was the name that they gave pedophiles in the 1800s. That's right. That's why Kansas University chose it as their logo and uh, mascot. They that, are yeah. all four pedophiles. That's a verifiable fact. You can look it up anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, all right, uh, number four. There are fewer shoe sales in the state of Tennessee than anywhere else in the United States. Hmm, I will say yes. 
sure, why not? Well, I mean, I know there's a lot of shoeless, jug-blowing uh, rednecks out there. Plus, it's not a heavily populated state. Well, it is false, technically. You're wrong. But you're right in that there are... It's just not... Well, the reason it's wrong is that there's no studies been done. So it could very sure. well be the place with the fewest shoe sales. And you're right. Yeah. There are a lot of people with... Uh, blue jeans that have been worn to about the calf and don't have any shoes or socks and have a straw hat and carry around a jug. That is pretty much the dominant fashion statement in the state of Tennessee. But yeah. uh, what we're going to get I've been there, Brennan. Oh, yeah. I, I know what they look like. Sure. Question five. It is illegal in Tennessee for students to hold hands in school because it is considered a gateway sexual activity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime you ask me about some ridiculous, ultra-evangelical, nutball hatred of sex and anything that is uh, involved with it in the South, I'm going to say absolutely true. Well, you're right. It is true. On to the next question. Number six, homosexuality is considered a communicable disease by the Tennessee State Board of Health. Wow. Wow. Uh... I'm going to say no. I, I, I'm sure they consider it a disease, but I don't know about communicable. <laughs> well, you're correct. It's false. You're really getting the hang of this. Well, I think I know my Tennessee. Sure. Number seven, the electric chair in Tennessee is constructed from the wood of the hangman's gallows that it replaced. Sure, I'm sure that. Well, yeah, that sounds like something some nutball judge would want. Like, if we're going to take down the gallows because they say it's not humane, well, then by God, let's take that wood. Let's build our goddarn chair out of it. That's and, uh, uh, You're right. You're exactly right. I'm not going to let this impression go on any longer than that. Uh, number eight, according to a 2013 study, the primary form of home protection in Tennessee is a riled-up hound dog. No, it's obviously guns. Yeah. Lots and lots of guns. Yeah, you're, you're right. That, again, was a trick question. It's obviously guns. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, that's a stupid question, Brennan. Yeah. I can't believe you ask it, thinking that we might in some way stump me. Well, it was just one of those test questions. If you missed that one, we just wouldn't play anymore. Have you ever been to a baby shower in Tennessee, Brennan? No, I have not. I, I'm guns. proud to say. Lots of guns being given out. So, hmm. you know, they, the baby is well-armed before hmm. it's even conceived. I mean, it's it's... Yeah, guns. Well, you don't want them to go to a daycare unprotected, you know? You gotta protect no, yourself. absolutely not. Yeah. There could be a, a Syrian refugee there. Yeah, I mean, infants have just as many Second Amendment rights as, as full-grown adults. Everyone else. Everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, number nine. It is illegal to share your Netflix password in Tennessee. Um, That's ridiculous uh, and a very common practice, so I will say yes, that is true. You are correct. Number ten. Okay. yeah. Number 10, the state of Tennessee has more licensed televangelists than medical doctors. Uh, I have no doubt they have a tremendous amount of evangelical pastors. I just don't know how many doctors they have. Right, that's the problem. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's kind of a stumper. Well, and as we learned uh, from one Kansas news, what you can consider a doctor in a state like Tennessee or Kansas, you know, there's a yeah, lot, they, of, they lot count, of wiggle they room. They which doctors. Right, sure. It's a great question. Uh, I'm going to say that's false. There are more doctors. That is correct. You nailed it, Colin. You had a great round this time of Tennessee Fact or Fiction. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. We've uh, We've talked about the game. We've talked about coaching. We've talked about what a ridiculous uh, defunct civilization Tennessee is. We've covered it. Yeah, that's all there is to talk about. We've got to get this thing up so our listeners can hear it before game time anyway. It's Thursday. so, Yeah, uh, so we can slide it deep into their ear holes. No lube. Yeah, that's bound to bring in more listeners. (laughs) Sure. 
Well, um, I'm rooting for a Tiger win. I am going to be optimistic and say 17-14. I think I already made a pick last week, but that's that's what my new pick is. What do you think? Um, I will say Missouri 24, Tennessee 20. I've never seen 24 points on our board this year, but I'm rooting for that too. Well, I guess that's all there is to say until Saturday, so uh, come on down to Faro, fill it up for Gary Pinkle's last game, and M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Let's build our god darn chair out of it.